Credo in Jesus Christ. That is the title, that is the theme of the sermon series that we've been in now for a couple of weeks and that will continue for at least the rest of this week. So if you haven't been here with us, Credo. Credo is Latin. Uh, it means I believe. It is the first word of the Apostles' Creed that we just confessed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm using credo, and it's always kind of cool to use Latin whenever you get the chance uh, to use uh, Latin. But it's, while it's a foreign word, it's not an unusual word. It should be a word that when you think about it for a few minutes, is not really hard for us to remember because it's the basis of a lot of words that we use all of the time. So most obviously, uh, credo, to believe or I believe, is, is found in the word creed, right? So a creed is a statement of beliefs or, or think of the word credible. If something is credible, that thing is believable. Or uh, a, a, another common word would be the word credit. Credit is to issue your funds, your gift of something, unto a person with belief that it will come back to you. It's a trust that you are giving with confidence and with belief that it will return. So while it is a strange word, sometimes it helps us to hear things, to think about them in a little bit of a different way, and that's the reason uh, that I've been using it, as well as to just remind us that these things are summarized for us in the creeds, which we have already confessed together. So here's where we've been thus far. Credo in Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. Secondly, credo in Jesus Christ, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. We needed a Savior. We needed salvation. Jesus is that Savior. So credo in Jesus Christ, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. And then number three, and this was last week, was credo in Jesus Christ as promised that he came according to the scriptures, according to what was written and promised from the very beginning of our descent into sin that God would in fact send a savior to us. So in this series, we have three more sermons to go, including the one today. And in one sense, all of these sermons are connected together. They could all go into one particular thing, but for the sake of looking at things a little bit more closely, I'm, I'm pulling them apart. And, and so here's where we're going to be in the next three sermons. Today, we're going to be credo in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and then Christmas Eve will be credo and Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, and then the day after Christmas will be credo in Jesus Christ, who was made man. Now, those are all phrases, of course, from the apostles and from the Nicene creeds. And again, if you, if you took them all together, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and made man, you're talking about the incarnation, right? And, and typically speaking, we think of them all together. But if we pull them apart and, and pause on each one of those phrases, I really think that it allows us to see something extraordinarily beautiful where we are oftentimes tempted to overlook it and to consider it uh, very quickly. So that's really my hope for today. I hope we can just revel in the beauty of our Lord 
as we take these things one at a time. All right, as we get started then today, I'm going to read for us a very familiar text, and you can follow along in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, or follow along in the bulletins, and I'll make a couple of references that are also in your bulletins this morning. As I prepare to read for us now, remember this. This is the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the reason that the Word of God says we have the Word of God are for those purposes to equip us as the people of God, what we should believe and what we should do. So hear the Spirit-inspired Word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your name. We thank you for your coming into this world and for the privilege of knowing you by the powerful working of your spirit. Spirit of God, we thank you for this word that you've authored, this word that you've preserved, this word which you have illuminated for us so that we can hear it and understand it. And so open us up again, Lord. Open us up again so that we can hear these things and see and know more of the beauty of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. I, in our service this morning, then, we have already made the good confession. The scriptures uh, say that it is good for us to make the good confession, even as Jesus himself made the good confession before the world, before the Lord. It is good to confess, and we have done that already. We have said together, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not come into the world as a child through ordinary generation. Now, that's a little bit of a, uh, of a phrase. It's, it's an unusual phrase. I want you to remember it, though. Jesus didn't come into the world through ordinary generation, which is just to say, he didn't come into the world in the normal way. The way all of the rest of us came into the world was not the way that Jesus entered into this world. Instead, Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the absolutely clear 
testimony of the Word of God. And I want you to hear it again to be absolutely clear about it in what we just read, Matthew 1, verse 18. It says it clearly that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, that is confirmed for Joseph once again in verse 20, where it says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, take your bulletins with me and look at the front of your bulletin. And I want you to see this with clarity, with equal clarity, from the Gospel of Luke as well. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she heard that she would conceive and bear a child. She's not doubting here. She's asking the question, how can that actually take place? Because, you know, things don't, aren't going here in the normal way. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the giver of life at the very beginning of creation. When God made the world, the Spirit of life breathes life into the creation that God has made. And here again, the Spirit of God works immediately. He works directly in the conception of Jesus in Mary. Now, we could take time. This morning, we could take time and explore how the Spirit of God is with Jesus, is in Jesus throughout the entirety of his life. One of the reasons I wanted us to read the passage that Joel read for us earlier from Isaiah 11 is that verse 2, where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That is the Holy Spirit upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We could consider the work of the Spirit of God in the, the baptism of Jesus, the descent of the Spirit upon him. We could look at the work of the Spirit of God in leading him into the wilderness during the temptation. We could look at the fact that Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 when he enters into the synagogue saying, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that scripture is, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, to preach good news to you. Jesus is called the Christ because the Holy Spirit is upon him. Christ is the word for Messiah. Messiah is the word for anointed. And so when Jesus says he is anointed with the Spirit of God, that's why he's called the Christ. So we could take time right now and, and reflect on all of those things and consider them in depth. And there's great value in doing that. But instead of looking broadly today, what I would like for us to do and what I think is going to be valuable for us to do is to narrow the focus of the work of the Spirit down to the very beginning, okay, the very beginning of the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ within Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the significance of the fact that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in Mary and not by Joseph? Okay, what, th that would be the normal way, right? 
The normal way that you get a child into this world is to be conceived by a husband and a wife, by Joseph. But it's not that way. And what is the significance of that fact today? What I'd like to do, and I, 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 I hope you will enjoy it and I hope you'll appreciate it, I want to give you six, yay, even seven, reasons why that takes place. I think they are beautiful, sweet, wonderful, awesome truths that we can see when we simply confess that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit of God. The, the things that I'm going to articulate in just a moment for us are not things that we would find exclusively here in this. They are all confirmed in other places of Scripture as well. But we see the seed of all of these things right here at the beginning, right here in this conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. My, my hope, there's, there's not going to be any quiz at the end of the sermon. There's not going to be a quiz next week. I'm not going to, in the back, ask you what were the six, yay, seven things that I said uh, that are shown to us in the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But think about them. Jot them down if you would like to. My hope would be this, that it kind of fires your mind and that it inflames your heart as well to reflect on these things this week. All right, so that's what we're doing. Here's where we're starting. First, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit confirms that we need salvation from outside. We need an outsider to save us. I noted several weeks ago, uh, that which is confirmed throughout Scripture, that we cannot save ourselves, and that no one else can save us either. The person next to you can't save you. The person in front of you can't save you. All of us in this room can't save you for one very simple reason, and that is we are all in exactly the same boat. And so, as good as you may be, as helpful as the person may be next to you, as nice as the person may be next to you, as godly as they may be, they, in fact, cannot save us. Salvation must come from above. It must come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is communicated to us in the fact of the conception by the power of the Holy Spirit, an outsider someone other than everybody else is necessary for our salvation. Over the years as a church, we've looked through the Old Testament, we've studied the Old Testament, and we've seen that in the Old Testament, there are many people whom God uses at various points along the way to save his people, to deliver his people out of some particular crisis that they were facing at a particular time. And if you'd like, you could even call those people saviors as long as you call them that with a lowercase s. God uses them at a particular time in a particular place to do something good for the people of God so that they are saved, so that they are delivered. But when we read the entirety of the scripture, when we read the entirety of the lives of these very people whom God uses, what becomes quickly crystal clear to us is that those saviors need saving is that those saviors themselves find themselves in need of exactly what they have at least demonstrated physically. They need to be saved as well. They need in their lives the divine initiative to come upon them, the divine power to come upon them, to intervene, to visit from the outside. Now, uh, it was last week, 
when we traced together how God had worked miraculously in fulfilling the promises that he made from the very beginning in providing a generation, generation after generation, seed after seed that came from the woman. And we saw all of these miraculous births, if you will, or miraculous deliverances that take place. And so in one sense, it's, it's miraculous that Eve at all gives birth to any children, given the curses that are out there. It's miraculous that Sarah and Abraham in their old age uh, beget children as well. And we get all the way to the New Testament where you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that's miraculous as well. It's supernatural that any of those would happen. But all of those, as miraculous as they are, are somebody who's an insider. They came from in the normal way. They came from the union between a man and a woman. But when we get to Jesus himself, when we get to the Savior with the capital S, we've also got something miraculous, but now we've entered into a different category. It's not a normal union that takes place there. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is something different, something from the outside. The Lord is willing and able to do that. Second thing, conceived by the Holy Spirit is the first great indicator that Jesus is not only a man, that Jesus is, in fact, the very Son of God. Again, from Luke 1 on the front of your bulletin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He'll be called the Son of God. And of course, in looking at the Matthew side of this, that is, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Quoting Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Conceived by the Holy Spirit is the very first indicator that we get that this one to be born is God himself. Or we use the language of John to say that he is the eternal word who that has now come to dwell among us. And the reality then is this, that when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth can say to Mary, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Because as soon as you came to me, as soon as the baby inside her, the sound of your voice, the sound of your greeting, the baby inside of me leapt for joy. You are the mother of my Lord already. The baby's in the womb and the baby is the Lord. The baby is God. Now, the scriptures teach us that in Jesus, all of the fullness of deity, all of the godness of God dwells in bodily form. And the conception then by the Holy Spirit, that's in Colossians, by the way, the conception by the Holy Spirit shows that this was true from the very moment of conception inside of the womb. Jesus didn't grow into divinity. Jesus just wasn't a really great person whom God then endowed with really supernatural, really great gifts on top of that. 
God didn't say that at some point I'll adopt this one and, and pour into him my divinity. No, from the very moment of conception, he was fully God. That also points out something else to us, that a man should be God points to the fact that if all of the fullness of deity is dwelling inside of a man, that it might just be possible that the great distance that exists between God and man will in this one be overcome. The distance between God and man exists because of sin. If this one has all the fullness of deity dwelling in him as a man, then that might be overcome. Third, conceived by the Holy Spirit, enables him to be and us to see that he is, in fact, holy. That he's holy. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He's holy from the very moment of conception. The angel whom is addressing Joseph, is assuring him, Joseph, listen, your wife-to-be is pregnant. And that begs some pretty significant questions. And what the angel is saying to Joseph is, Joseph, nothing unholy happened here. Nothing illicit took place so that Mary is now pregnant, because that's naturally, of course, what you would think. Something happened here, and I know what happened. And the angel saying, no, 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 quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Instead of something unholy taking place that caused this conception, the most holy thing possible has taken place. The power of the Holy Spirit has come upon her, and now that child inside of her will be holy. So what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Well, we've looked at this over time, separate Distinct, clean, pure, undefiled, set apart, other, innocent, unique, morally perfect. All of those things are aspects of what it means to be holy. Jesus is all of that from the moment of his conception. He is all of those things from the moment of his conception. Now, he will need to live and will live a life of active, perfect obedience to the law of God. But the conception shows it to have been the case from the very beginning. His life of holiness is not to gain holiness, but it is an outworking of who he was conceived as. He is conceived as the Holy One by the Holy Spirit. The conception shows that this has been the case from the beginning. Now, I ask you this question. Who else is like that? Who else among men has, let's call it this, original holiness? Who else has original holiness? Well, of course, there's only one, right? There's only one. It's Adam. Adam is the only other one with his wife, Eve, who has this original holiness. And this is going to take us then to the fourth truth, and I want to spend a little bit more time here that we see in the conception by the Holy Spirit. 
So here's what you've got so far, just if you're, if you're keeping track. What we've got so far is that the, whole, the conception by the Holy Spirit shows us that we need an outsider. Secondly, that he is fully God. And third, it shows us that he's holy. And now the fourth one. The fact that Jesus was so conceived is a change. It is a break in a pattern. It is a decoupling. It is a deconcatenation. Sorry, that's thrown in for the sake of some men who were together in a Bible study yesterday. A decoupling, if you will. And you also know that word if you're an Excel junkie, apparently, also. A detachment takes place. It is a severing, the conception by the Holy Spirit, it is a severing of the link in the chain that is forged by original sin. Something different has taken place. Our catechism asks this question. It says, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Okay? Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? The answer from the catechism is this. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation. All mankind descending from him in the ordinary way, in the normal way, one after another from two. Sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. Adam, one sin, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned and fell with him in his first transgression. That's called original sin. That's what we looked at two, two weeks ago, why we need a Savior. When Jesus is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the chain of ordinary generation is broken. Everybody else, you and me, and everybody else comes into the world in the normal way and continues the chain of ordinary generation through which sin is imputed to us. Adam's sin imputed to us. The conception of Jesus Christ was not ordinary. It was unordinary. It was out of the ordinary. It was extraordinary. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at this phrase that's found in Psalm 51. David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. And we noted that he's not talking there about some kind of illicit affair that existed, and therefore he was born in some particular sin. And it's certainly not a statement that says in some way that a child that comes forth from normal sexual union is that, that that's somehow wrong, it's somehow sinful in and of itself. That's not the point. The point being referred to is original sin. There's nobody who can escape from that. That's the point of in sin did my mother conceive me. That's true of all of us. It is not true of Jesus Christ. Jesus could not make the statement, in sin did my mother conceive me. Jesus is not in the estate of sin. 
He is not subject to or guilty of original sin. Jesus stands parallel to Adam as the head of a new creation, a new generation. See, there was a generation that linked, a generation that linked by ordinary generation, by the imputation of Adam's sin with everybody who came forth. Now, there's a new generation. There's a new head. There's a new generation that comes from this one. He's the head of a new creation, and it's found right in being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Something new has happened. Something has broken in that is other, that is different, that isn't like anything that's come before, that's not ordinary, that is instead extraordinary. There is continuity in Jesus Christ. Indeed, we'll look at that on Christmas Eve. He's born of a virgin. He's born of a woman. And that is according to the many promises that we looked at last week that are found in Scripture. There's continuity. There has to be continuity. But there is distinction. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's holy. He's not under the stain, and he's not under the state of original sin. All right, so again, so far, he's other, he's God, he's holy, he's breaking the chain of original sin. Fifth, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit shows us that salvation is the gift of God. It is all of the mercy, of the grace, of the love of God. It is the initiative of God. Salvation is not a human work. That's what conception by the Holy Spirit shows. It is not by anything that you did, Joseph. It's not by anything that you did, Mary. It's because of my initiative. It's because of what I have done. The basic command that is given to humanity, the first command that is given to us as humanity is what? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Here's the work that you're supposed to do. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God says, no, 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 no. We are not operating in the ordinary sphere right now. Ordinarily, that would be a thing that you do. But no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a work that I must do. Jesus is not conceived by the will of a man. He is conceived by the will of God. To bring salvation, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit said from the very beginning what we saw last week, I will. Not you will, I will. And then he will. Sixth, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit is a statement not only about how Jesus became the God-man Savior, but it is also a statement about how we are saved. We are not saved by our own works, by our own natural works. We are not saved by virtue of the simple fact that we were born Some hold to that idea that there's this kind of, hey, you were born into this world, God must love you, there's a universal salvation. That is unbiblical. It is not according to the Word of God. What the Word of God says is that in order for you to be saved, 
We require a new birth. We require, listen to the language, a spiritual birth. We must be born again, or as that could be translated as well, we must be born from above. Or to say it fully, with all of the scriptural weight behind it, we must be born again by the Spirit of God. To be in the household of God, in the family of God, it requires spiritual regeneration. Regeneration. You have to become part of a new generation. You must be regenerated to be part of the family and the household of God. We need the life-giving, quickening power of the Spirit of God without which we cannot and will not believe. We won't believe without the work of the Spirit going on in our hearts. It is impossible to say with integrity, with sincerity, with sincerity of heart, with truth, with conviction. It is impossible to say, credo, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It is impossible for you to say that with integrity and conviction unless that same Spirit of God that conceived Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary has conceived in your heart faith and life. You can't say it without that. You must be born again. You must be regenerated to be able to make that good confession. In this, as that takes place, what happens is the imputation of original sin that belonged to you because of ordinary generation, because of how you were physically born into the world, that you are ultimately the seed of Adam, that imputation is replaced with a different imputation. It is replaced by the imputation of the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so that you're taken out of this line, this generation, and you are grafted into this line by faith. You are regenerated. You're born again into a new family, and that's your heritage. It goes right up to that man, to the man who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then born of the Virgin Mary. Look at the parallel. Look again at the front of your bulletin, if you will. I want you to see this in biblical language, not just mine. Now, of course, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, go to John chapter 3, and you can see what I'm talking about as well. But I want you to see it in John chapter 1 that I put on the front of your bulletin. The Gospel of John, of course, doesn't say anything directly about uh, the conception of Jesus by the Spirit of God, nor about the virgin birth. And that is because John, in his Gospel, is testifying to the things that he has seen. He wasn't there for the virgin birth, and so there's no mention of the virgin birth in his Gospel. He's an eyewitness who's giving a firsthand testimony of these things. But he knows about it. He's aware of it, and he writes this. The first verse is very familiar to us because I've said it almost every week in this series. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Great. How do you become a child of God? How do you become that child? Not children of God who were born, not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Why? Because those are all ordinary generation. All you end up with all of those is, is original sin. You're in the state, the estate of sin and misery. But instead, they're born of the will of God. That's what happens. The Spirit gives us life. And then the Spirit of God helps us to delight in the fact that we've been adopted into this family. All right, seventh, and this is the last, and this is a bonus one for you. That Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed with the Holy Spirit that he might be fully furnished to execute the office of our mediator, of our redeemer, to be in himself our prophet, our priest, and our king. That Jesus was given the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit, for the mission of God that had been entrusted to him and which he took upon himself, that he might proclaim the good news to those who are poor and lost and perishing. Points not only to his mission, but it points to our mission as well. At Pentecost, Jesus, who is in possession of the fullness of the Spirit of God, pours out the one by whom he was conceived, with whom he was filled. He pours out that Spirit upon the born-again church of God. Upon those who have been born again by that Spirit, Jesus takes the Spirit, pours the Spirit out upon them. He's in full possession. It is inexhaustible saying to us that the mission that was mine is now the mission that is yours. It is your mission to bear the good news of the gospel, the good news of the new birth, the good news of rebirth unto the world. Bring forth children by faith, who believe in me. The mission is wrapped up in the work of the Spirit of God. You are, then, by the working of the Spirit of God, both a recipient, you are saved, and you are a recipient and a bearer of this message, of this good confession that Jesus is the Lord, is the Christ, is the Son of God, and that there's salvation in no other name. Because there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Do you believe this? Can you say credo? Can you say credo in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Lord, help us to believe Help us to trust in you. Help us to see the beauty of this. Uh, don't let Satan snatch it away, Lord. This is the beauty that comes forth, not from a preacher, but from your word, and that shows us the marvelous, mighty, great work that you've done on our behalf. Help us to delight in that. We pray in your name. Amen.